What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Colts' first player on this drive is a handoff. Slip it through to the 30-40. Down the right sideline. There goes Jonathan Taylor. 30-20-10. Touchdown. 78 yards. Jonathan Taylor to the house. And the Colts have busted it open. The only thing I'm going to disagree with you there, Brandon, I think it was already busted open. Friday, PFT Live. Anytime I see a guy number 28 bust into the open like that, I think of Paul Allen and Adrian Peterson and Paul Allen shouting, and he's loose because he was, and the Colts were loose, although it got interesting at the end, almost a backdoor cover by the New York Jets, uh, development that becomes more and more significant as gambling becomes more and more legal. Peter King, good morning. Welcome back. Missed you last Friday. How are you? Good morning, Mike. Well, I bring you what's happening in New York this morning. It's the back page of your New York Post. (laughs) White of the Living Dead. There it is right there. Well, I mean, what are you going to say about last night? All I can say is that the most interesting thing I heard in this game was when Troy Aikman said, you know, we talked to Robert Sala yesterday. He said this is the best defensive line room he's ever had. And... I said to myself, well, hang on a second. Aren't they in the middle of a three-game stretch where they've allowed 130 points? Didn't they tonight in this game allow 42 points in the first 40 minutes of the game? And I just wonder if Bosa, Buckner, Armstead, (laughs) and D. Ford two years ago, I just wonder what they would think when they hear Troy Aikman say that Robert Sala said it's the best defensive line room he's ever had. What about the defensive line room two years ago that brought the San Francisco 49ers to the Super Bowl? How in the world do you, is that, is that said? That's, that's all I can say. I, I mean, there's a lot to say about that game last night, but that one just blew me away. 
Positive reinforcement, even if that reinforcement is so positive, it's completely and totally implausible. And it was amazing to me, Peter, how how the Jets, with one win over the Bengals, that reminded me in a lot of ways of their win prior to that over the Titans, that all of a sudden people were on the Jets like they had figured out some magic formula to become an elite team. I mean... Let's at least see them do it again against a team that is desperate and a team that has had a little bit of a crack, a little ray of hope with Derrick Henry out indefinitely for the Titans. Although it's going to take a lot of work for the Colts to catch the Titans, the Titans don't have Derrick Henry. So the Colts at home coming off of a heartbreaking loss, ready to reestablish themselves. I didn't get it. And look, I get plenty of games wrong, but I just didn't get it that everybody was like, oh, Jets, Jets, got them on Fox pregame, Jets, Jets, Jets. This is is the team that just gave up 54 points to the Patriots 11 days ago. We can't just wipe that clean. So, hey, and I got to give them credit. They didn't quit. It was over. They were done, and they kept fighting. They kept pushing. Josh Johnson acquitted himself well. You showed the cover of the New York Post on the backside with the, the moment where Mike White's arm was injured and he couldn't come back. They didn't give up, but still, they they were overmatched from the get-go. And, you know, we've been spoiled by so many great primetime games. I kind of held my nose and sat through all of it last night just in the hopes that the great primetime games will be back sooner than later, but it really stands out when there's one that bad because we've had so many this year that have been that good. It it was sort of a fascinating game, but I'm just... I, I agree with you, Mike. If you had been in New York the last couple of days and and listened to the radio, uh, Mike White was was going to beat out Zach Wilson. The Jets were uh, on their way to contenderdom in 2022. It was just a really weird thing. Only in New York does one game uh, get you the ability to totally redraw what you think of this team. But the reality is the New York Jets in the span of 11 days have given up 130 points. The Buffalo Bills in the span of the entire season have given up 109. And the Jets are not ready for anything yet other than the 2022 draft. And, you know, look, I applaud Robert Sala for the efforts he is making to instill, you know, a new character in his team and all that. But the talent deficit right now is just huge. And when you play a team that is struggling like the Colts are and you let them get up 42 to 10 midway through the third quarter, you know, what what are you exactly? You know, I, I don't I don't know exactly what you are, but you're not good. And I think the one other thing about that game last night, I just started to think, Tennessee against the Rams on Sunday. Tennessee without Derrick Henry. You would think, wouldn't you, that the Rams are going to win that game? If the Rams win that game, the Colts are two games behind the Titans in the AFC South, even after the absolute, total, unequivocal debacle five days ago in which Carson went single-handedly handed a football game to the Tennessee Titans 
So you're right. It's not over. There's It's a 17-game season this year, obviously. And I think the Colts, I'm not saying they have a great chance, but I think they got a chance still in that division. Well, and it really is amazing because in the immediate aftermath of Sunday's win by the Titans, and we didn't know that Derrick Henry was going to be potentially done for the year. The Titans are up three with nine to play, and they hold the tiebreaker, so the Colts had to make up four with nine to play. And it gave me a flashback to the days when I would live and die by the baseball box scores and the standings, and you get down to the end of the season, and how many games did the Pirates have to make up on the Reds, and how many games were left in the season, or whatever team they were chasing, the Phillies they'd be chasing. I remember that one year. They had to make up four games in four days, and you hold out hope until there is no hope anymore. Well, making up four games in nine, it isn't much room for hope. But when Derrick Henry's out, And the Colts get that win. And as you mentioned, Sunday night, it's going to be very difficult for the Titans to beat the Rams. All of a sudden, it's down to two, actually three, because you got to make up that extra one, because if you tie with them, they still win. But but they're very much alive. And with, with Jonathan Taylor, who was phenomenal last night with 172 rushing yards and a pair of touchdowns, including the 78 yarder that we saw right out of the gates. They had 260 total rushing yards. That was the most this season in any game by any team. If that offensive line has gelled to the point where they can do that and they have the quality running backs who can make it happen, Peter, they could pull this rabbit out of the hat. They could. They could be the team that wins the AFC South just as we were ready to consider the Titans as the potential one seed in the AFC. They could end up missing the playoffs now because they don't have Derrick Henry. Look, the other point to consider, Mike, is look at the look at the teams, the other teams they're competing with, and those are the teams that they're competing with for the three wild card spots. Okay, so let's look at the big competitors. The Patriots are four and four. The Bengals are five and three. The Steelers are four and three. The Browns are four and four. The Chargers are four and three. Denver and Kansas City are four and four. It isn't like the couple of divisions in the NFC where you say, oh my gosh, look at look at what's going on in the in the NFC South, where you know the Saints are, are five and two. And whether it's the Saints or Tampa is the wild card. One of them is going to have a really, really good record. And then you look at the West, where you've got twins, seven and one teams. The AFC is a lot more manageable when it comes to chasing the fifth, sixth, and seventh seeds. So whether Indianapolis wins the division or not, which we're all obviously dubious that they can or, or that they will, uh, they still are extremely but they're, they're still very much alive in the wild card chase now with nine games to go. By the way, 45 to 30, the final score of last night's game. That is a scoregami. First time ever in the 102 season history of the NFL that a final score has been 45 to 30. And I never would have dreamed 75 total points in last night's game, but sometimes it just happens and the points just keep coming. And they did, in part because the Jets never gave up. Again, I respect them. For not giving up and at one point it got a little interesting in the fourth quarter 
And then it got interesting because it looked like there was going to be the backdoor cover. And let me just editorialize for a moment. Not that I ever have to press pause and ask for permission to editorialize, but it is amazing to see how broadcasters are still expected to tiptoe around the obvious gambling implications when they cut to commercial and we get a commercial from DraftKings, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. That is amazing to me. This is a twilight zone that we're currently in. As the NFL continues to cling to this vestige of the days when it despised gambling. And if Al Michaels made even the slightest reference to a game being over, a phone call was made to the highest levels of NBC. I don't get it, Peter. Can you help me reconcile this strange reality in which we're residing? Hey, look, uh, every week I now see on social media inside the NFL, uh, which uh, used to be the, the, you know, it, it used to be on HBO, now it's on Showtime. And every week they're talking about gambling lines. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the interesting, or at least in the social media uh, promotion of the show. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, one year ago, they were forbidden from doing that. And now it is so out in the open that they even basically advertise it on social media that will help you figure out who you're going to bet in this game. I don't know. I'm probably the only guy on the planet, only person on the planet who watches a game and doesn't know what plus 165 means. So don't ask me. It all washes over my head, Mike. And I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of lives affected by the constant bantering about gambling, but it's it's not going away. Hey, turn on the... NFL's own pregame show on Sunday morning. They'll do a segment where they show the games and they they show the betting line on the big giant monitor that is parked between the analysts as they talk about it. It is just twilight zone for me because the broadcasters Mike, are still I thought, hey, by the way, to not the say way, anything about I it. I thought that wasn't it wasn't it only three or four years ago that Roger Goodell said gambling was evil? We must not gamble. We should never gamble. Gambling will affect the honor of the sport of football. And now, man, gambling is the most wonderful thing in the world. I wonder what happened. Undermine the integrity of the game, a threat to the integrity of the sport, and yada and yada and yada until the floodgates opened and they realized, you know what? We can either get on the train and make a crap load of money or we can stand at the station yelling, get off my lawn, while millions are running around on the grass. That's the reality. And they understood how much money they could make. And I'm not faulting them for it, but the difference was the Supreme Court allowed every state in the country, if it so chooses, to develop a program of legalized sports betting. And that has changed everything. And it will continue to change everything as more and more states pick up legalized gambling the really big states like california texas and florida aren't there yet wait until california gets it and it really goes through the roof all right uh back to the game carson wentz where's he right now in your estimation and it's amazing how it even at halftime it was a storyline where troy aikman was wondering aloud will the colts take him out for the second half because they're paying 
careful attention to the snap count, and maybe they won't have to give the Eagles a first-round pick. Well, the, the Colts don't seem to be paying attention to that because even in obvious garbage time, they left Carson Wentz in. So I think they're more concerned about developing this guy to his maximum and putting experiences like that debacle from Sunday when he threw the left-handed pick six and the throw in overtime. Kevin Byard told me after the game, I was kind of surprised he threw it. Yeah, the, the two Titans were were sandwiching the Colts receiver when the ball left his hands. It was obvious it was going to be picked off. Where do we think Wentz is, and where do we think he can go? Speaking of trains that have left the station, that draft pick, unless Carson Wentz gets hurt, the way that the Colts have played the entire year, they never are taking this guy out of the game. So unless he gets hurt, it's over. The the Colts are going to give up their one next year to the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, I realize that this is kind of a weekly story. It's a topic of conversation, but it's over. Unless Carson Wentz gets hurt, the Colts will not have their first round pick next year, period. They've made the decision. We're not going to do anything to uh, affect how we play the game, even keeping him in blowouts so he continues to get chemistry with his team. And look, you know, you look at those stats on the board right there, you know, 12 touchdowns or I'm sorry, 14 touchdowns, two interceptions in the last six games. Looks fantastic. But that game last Sunday is a scar that's going to take a while to to erase if, if you do it the entire year. Two horrendous throws. And look, I, I, I even had Darius Butler on my podcast this week, uh, the former Colts corner, um, and former corner for nine years in the NFL. I love Darius Butler. I think he's really, really good on his podcast. But Darius Butler totally, uh, uh, well, like eight, I think he said 80%. He blamed Frank Reich for the left-handed throw in the inter- in, in the end zone and the, the horrible interception that really opened the floodgates for Tennessee to come back. Now, I'm sorry. You, you, you're a quarterback. I don't care what the call comes in. You're going to run the call. That's a play where you throw the ball at the feet of your offensive lineman, period. There's, that's a play that there's no way you do what he did and hand the opposition seven points. If you want to blame the coach, some go ahead. But a quarterback does not allow that to happen, period. So, look, I mean, I applaud Carson Wentz for playing pretty well last night because he did play well last night. But uh, I'm going to remember that game on Sunday for a while. And, Peter, it was stunning because after the game, Frank Reich took the blame for calling a screen pass in that circumstance because there's no good way out of that maze. Well, if you remember the play, Carson Wentz contemplated just ditching it early and pulled it back, and that's when he got swallowed. And at the... At the very end, he he consciously, I think, as conscious as he could have been in that moment, was trying to avoid a safety and assumed the risk of a touchdown in order to avoid the safety. And, and in some respects, the safety would have been worse because other team gets two points and the ball. So at least they had a chance to go down and tie the game. Not that all those thoughts are ricocheting through his mind in that moment. I just think he's 
he's trying to avoid the safety and he throws the ball up in the air and it just so happens it gets caught and walked in for a touchdown. But it's not Frank Reich's fault. Now, it's maybe Frank Reich's fault because he didn't account for the reality. He's got a quarterback who doesn't know when to quit. And that's the thing that he needs to learn, whether it gets him injured or whether it gets him in a spot where he throws a left-handed pick six. He's got to learn when to quit. The best quarterbacks know when to pull the plug on a play and move to the next down. And that's the one thing that has played Carson Wentz's entire career. Can I just tell you the one thing I thought, and I'm sorry we're four days late and even one game since then, but Mike, if if you look at that play again and you look at it in regular speed, you're exactly right. He took his right hand and he like pump faked it like he was going to throw it at the ground. And then to me, after he's getting swallowed up by three Titans or as he's getting swallowed up, to me, that looked like the actions of a panicked quarterback. You know, he did not respond to the situation with the sort of mature cool that a quarterback needs to respond to a tough situation and that's the thing that really got me about that he had a proper way of dumping out of that play and that is throwing the ball at 80 miles an hour at the feet of a guard and he didn't do that now could something bad have happened on that play could it have taken a weird bounce anything could have happened but what did happen as you see this watch See, why in the world doesn't he throw the ball at the feet of this offensive lineman? Why? Why? Just tell me. I just I mean, it is just it's just beyond absurd to me. I I, I thought that was one of the most one of the craziest plays, and quite frankly, one of the most irresponsible plays I've seen a quarterback make. Now, I, I will say this, it, to the extent that the play was designed to go to Mo Alley-Cox, and that's what Frank Reich said after the game, the idea that he's going to block someone and then spring free in that circumstance, that deep in their own end, that's probably not the best screen to call. So I'll agree with that. But still, Carson Wentz has to have the presence of mind. And some quarterbacks have it and some don't. Sims and I were talking earlier this week about Aaron Rodgers, a topic that undoubtedly will be coming up later in this program for different reasons but the the photo of him last week with the chin strap up over his nose the old school chin strap with no padding on it and I said to Sims isn't it amazing this guy's been playing all these years and he he's never gotten popped in the chin or the jaw hard enough to get him to say I better put a pad on my chin strap and Sims said look the guy is in complete command he knows when he's going to get he he knows how to move Amid all of the chaos and everything that's going on, he always stays cool and in command of exactly what he needs to do. That is skill slash art. And not a lot of guys have that. And that's one of the reasons, in addition to having an arm that can drop a football into the smallest of windows, but his presence of mind to stay calm amid chaos is a rare trait. And that's why after all these years of starting, he's never gotten popped in the face to the point where he's decided I better wear a big pad on my chin instead of the old Halloween costume chin strap. You know, one of the reasons when I see a a picture like that, Mike, I think about what Tom Brady said last week 
that the game has changed so drastically in that the quarterbacks don't get hit. I mean, he was given, I wrote about this in my column this week, he was basically given a question by Colin Coward in this sort of town hall press conference that uh, Jim Gray ran on his podcast. And uh, he basically, Colin Coward said, if you could change one rule about the game, what would it, was, what would it be? And I was really surprised. Brady basically said, they've taken away all the physicality out of this game and you know, made it really stark compared to when he first played football. And so that when when you when when we see a picture like that of Aaron Rodgers and you talk about the chin strap and you talk about all the quarterbacks who don't play with mouth guards, you know, one of the things I keep thinking, okay, and, and I understand it's hard for a quarterback to talk and to call a signal and play with a mouth guard. I get I get all that. So that's that's probably not the most significant telling factor about what's happened in football. But all I'm saying is that quarterbacks know that they're not going to get hit the way they did 10 or 15 years ago. So Aaron Rodgers knows he doesn't have to be protected like a sumo wrestler. Well, uh, others do because others don't have that same ability to avoid taking the big hit. And Carson Wentz is one of them. But last night he got it done. And along the way, he threw a touchdown to offensive lineman Danny Pinter, and that ball hung in the air forever. And <laughs> there was that moment, right? It, and I thought maybe it's going to be the, the Jackie Smith, the 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 the, the, the yeah. saddest man Pop alive. Out of the and stomach. then I thought, <laughs> yeah. And then I thought it was going to be Jumbo Elliott. Remember his from when he like bobbled it twenty yeah. times. But Danny Pinter makes the yeah. catch. Everybody goes crazy. Everybody loves to see a big guy score. A touchdown except people who play fantasy football because that touchdown could have gone to somebody they actually have on their roster but nobody cares but he was a he was a tight end uh several 48 ounce ribeye steaks ago he did play tight end yeah and you know it's funny he went to ball state which is about an hour east of uh, lucas oil stadium and it's sort of the forgotten football school in indiana but i i really thought last night you know, to me, last night said a lot of great things about the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, they said that, you know, they've had some injuries, obviously. They've got some good depth on the roster. You know, I understand there's a lot of haranguing and gnashing of teeth about the in and out of the lineup of T.Y. Hilton. I mean, how do you not like Pittman with what you've seen in him? And I think they're building some good depth at the receiver position so, I, I mean, I really think the Colts are a good team that still is very, very much alive in the wild card chase. And I look at the Colts right now and I just say, you know, their schedule has got some real pockmarks the rest of the way. It's got some toughness the rest of the way. But I still think, even though they've, they've dug a tremendous hole for themselves, I still think at four and five, with now the mini buy coming up, that they're in decent shape. That I think they got Houston and Jacksonville over the next month. Uh, so I look, they're still very much in it, Mike. Oh, they absolutely are, and the Jets are not. So the Mike White Zach Wilson chatter can end. Robert Sala said after the game that that both White and 
Wilson could practice next week. I still don't know exactly what happened to White. It looked like the wrist. They said it was the forearm. Whatever it was, he wasn't able to come back and play. But I I, I doubt that, that Mike White is going to take this job away from Zach Wilson as we now know it was one game it was great it was special it was magical only the second quarterback in nfl history to throw for more than 400 yards in his first nfl start joining cam newton that's great there's stuff in canton that'll be on display there not forever people think that the stuff that goes to canton is it's no it's not there forever they display it for a while and then they display something else but they'll display this as they should from what he did on sunday but it's a reminder that it's just one game and hopefully the folks in new york We'll remember that. And as you said, the Colts moving in the right direction. How about this, Peter? They're making the case, Colts players are, for Darius Leonard to be the defensive player of the year. He has been involved in nine takeaways this season, two interceptions. He's forced four fumbles. He's recovered three. He uh, And there are 14 teams that have fewer than nine total takeaways all year long. He punched out the ball last night from Ty Johnson, perfectly timed, old-school peanut punch at a time when the game was still in the balance. And it was early in the second quarter. If the Jets had driven down and scored, it would have been 14-14. And that was kind of the moment that it broke because the Colts got the ball and they scored a touchdown. It was 21-7 and it felt like it was over. Right now, he is plus 7,000 to be the defensive player of the year according to points bet. That means he's 70-1. to Could be a good bet for anyone out there that's inclined to make that bet. I don't know that he can generate enough buzz because they'd have to, at a minimum, make the playoffs for him to get the award. But should he at least be talked about, Peter, in connection with Defensive Player of the Year? I, there's no question about it that he should. The, the thing about Defensive Player of the Year, it usually goes to someone who dominates a statistical category. For instance, a guy who gets 19 sacks. Or a guy like this year, um, uh, Trevon Diggs, who's way ahead in the interception race. But it's not impossible if the sack leader this year has, you know, 15, which is probably on the low side. If Trevon Diggs cools off and ends up, say, with eight interceptions or something like that, it, it could go to an all-around player. Um, but I think the odds are tall against him, which is probably why the odds are correct in in uh in whatever you know what however long the odds are with Darius Leonard they're probably correct because it's going to be hard for him to get to the head of the class in any one of the statistical categories now if you create a new category called turnovers forced or uh, you know fumbles recovered plus turnovers forced or whatever you say and he gets like 16 or 18 of them well that's a different story then you know who knows you know there's 50 people who vote for that award I'm one of them I'm not a slave to numbers I'd certainly be open to Darius Leonard well we'll see how it goes right now he's number 15 on the list of odds to win the award so he's got some work to do but he did some of it last night we've got plenty more work to do today I think we've said everything we can say about last night's game, in part because it was not as great as other primetime games have been. When we return, one of the great stories of the week and the broader question, does the NFL have a COVID protocol problem 
as demonstrated by what we've learned this week regarding Aaron Rodgers. We'll discuss that when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you vaccinated, and what's your stance on, on vaccinations? Yeah, I've been immunized. Yeah, it was an opportunity for him to use his platform to maybe convince one or two of his teammates, and maybe he's doing it privately. He doesn't want to make it a public issue, but you could just see his hesitation, Peter, early on. He didn't even want to use the word vaccinated. He said immunized. He knows that that word itself has become a hot button. Oh, young, naive Florio. <laughs> giving Aaron Rodgers the benefit of the doubt that he was he was choosing his words carefully because he wanted to avoid any type of pushback for using the V word while he works behind the scenes to convince teammates like Alan Lazard to do the right thing. No, he was just full of crap. He was lying. And I am disappointed in myself for not recognizing that he was lying and for not calling him the liar that he is, Peter. Well, Mike, I think that, you know, as I've watched this thing develop over the last couple of days, one thing really stands out to me, and that is the deafening silence of Aaron Rodgers. And he could easily come out with some sort of statement and to say that, let's just say, hey, look, I was in the middle at that moment of a challenge against the NFL that I was convinced I would win. And whatever it is that he was thinking at the time. However, if he knew at the time, if the NFL had already turned down his appeal of whatever the hocus pocus, quote, immunization (laughs) was, and he said that, then clearly he has zero, zero excuse for responding to that question the way he did. And he's got to look himself in the mirror and say, basically, if these guys who I'm talking to don't trust me in the future, I've got nobody to blame but myself. It really is unbelievable, and I can't wait 
to see and hear what he has to say. First press conference or next appearance with Pat McAfee. He does that every Tuesday. How he spins this, how he deflects if he deflects, how he attacks if he attacks. I'm told he's furious that he was outed by NFL media as being unvaccinated. And I have a feeling that he will but find there's a way no, there's no to communicate other way. that. Everybody would know when it was clear he was going to be out because if you're vaccinated, all you have to do at any point after you are found to be positive with COVID is to test negative twice within 24 hours. So you wouldn't be declared out for the the Kansas City game uh, if you still had a chance, if you had been vaccinated and still could have tested out of the COVID protocols. But the fact is, you know, people have to know you're not playing against Kansas City. And whenever that happened, and when it was known he's not playing against Kansas City, then it becomes obvious. That nuance will be lost on him, Peter. His position will be that what the NFL does, if you are positive for COVID, you get placed on the COVID reserve list. And the NFL does not, at least I haven't seen it so far this year, where someone is affirmatively declared as out with no chance of playing. By doing that, by taking that extra step, you are implicitly outing the guy as unvaccinated. Now, NFL media want one, one step further and reported with two names on it that he is unvaccinated. And look, it's been floating around for weeks that he's unvaccinated. But, you know, I, I, I've spent a lot of time kicking myself this week for not chasing that one. I don't know how far I could have chased it. I don't know that I could have confirmed it. And I admitted yesterday, I decided it's not worth it because he can be a bit of a bully. And I don't want him, you know, claiming I should be deplatformed for outing him as being unvaccinated. Because you know what? If he had never tested positive, we never would have known the truth. We never would have known the truth about Aaron Rodgers being unvaccinated. So it was out there. And now everyone knows. And my point is, Peter, the lengths to which he went to conceal it will make it obvious that he's upset that his little ruse got exposed. So he will find a way to lash out. He will find a way to turn the tables and make it not about him lying. He's going to argue, I think he had the right to lie about it. We have It's such a personal choice that people should have the ability, if they so desire, to take extreme measures to conceal it that that's how important that personal choice is. I can already hear him trying to conjure it up that way, that it's a justifiable lie, and people lie all the time in football. People lie about this, and they lie about that. And I'm trying to conceal a very very delicate and personal and intense decision that I had to make, and I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I, I, I think that he's smart enough to try to kick something around like that and based upon the way he's handled things in the past, it won't surprise me. But, but I just, I'm just curious to see what he says when he finally speaks. Like you said, the silence is deafening. At some point, he's going to have to say something. I mean, <clears throat> in my opinion, he should have said something already, whether it be issue a statement or not, because now everybody just runs <clears throat> with very, very strong opinions, anti-Rogers opinions. By him saying nothing... Uh, and not defending himself, I think what the the general conclusion is he's got no defense for what he did other than if he comes out and says, well, nobody should have known this in the first place. 
it's almost like, uh, in some ways, uh, what John Gruden's defense would be uh, when he uh, does whatever he does or, or whether he ends up suing anybody over his uh, divorce from the Raiders. You know, he's going to say those emails should never have been public. Well, I'm not saying that they should have ever been public because emails should remain private. But once they are public, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. So, you know, to me, I mean, it's obviously a much, much different case, uh, Rogers versus Gruden. But after you actually know the truth about what the truth is, it's hard to change your opinion about it. Oh, you're absolutely right. But, you know, th- there are two different questions here. Gruden and Rogers, very similar, different facts altogether. But the idea that they, they did something for which they deserve scorn and derision, but there is a way to make an argument that they've been wronged in some way, that his status yes. was made public when, when in theory, they twist themselves into pretzels to keep these things secret and quiet. And because NFL media is the NFL, and, and I've railed on this when it comes to reports from NFL media about players who have failed a drug test or tested positive for steroids, whatever the case may be, there's a very clear confidentiality provision in those policies. So if NFL media is the first to report it, that's basically a violation by the league of its own policies because the league owns NFL media. And I know the union is waiting for the right opportunity to file a grievance, to make a big deal about it. The right opportunity hasn't come yet, but they're waiting for it. And Rodgers may may point to this and say, hey, this is the NFL using its media arm as a way to do what it couldn't do directly. I mean, I would, that sounds like something that's very possible because Aaron Rodgers is obviously a very, very intelligent person. Uh, And not only just intelligent about facts, figures, and whatever, but he sees things like this for all the potential uh, uh, all the potential uh, areas that they can go in. One of them, obviously, would be that someone with the Packers told someone or someone in the league told someone at, uh, at NFL media what happened. So, you know, or, or, or however it was found out. You know, Aaron Rodgers can easily point to the fact that why did the news break uh, on the NFL's uh, media center? And so it's going to be interesting to see what he says. And I doubt sincerely that uh, Aaron Rodgers will simply throw himself on the mercy of public opinion, throw himself on the mercy of, look, I screwed up. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I owe people an apology. I I doubt that that's what we're going to hear. And Peter, before we move on to the broader question, the last thing Aaron Rodgers should do is try to peddle the notion that he was mincing words in a very careful way. The old Greg Brady, those were your exact words. They weren't my exact words. I didn't say vaccinated. I said immunized because the direct question was, are you vaccinated? And he said, yeah, 
I've been immunized. And in the next breath, he said, I'm not going to judge my teammates who aren't vaccinated. Well, that's good to know since you're not vaccinated. Why in the hell would you judge them? The whole context and the comments made it clear that he was saying, I'm vaccinated. So if he tries to thread that needle, that's going to get even more scorn and derision thrown his way. You're right. And that's why I doubt. um, Look, I know how I would treat something like this if I aired and was sort of caught in it. But I'm not a professional athlete and who cares what I would do. But the fact is, I think the obvious thing here is that, you know, Aaron Rodgers needs to say something. And Aaron Rodgers needs to uh, defend himself. Uh, if, if, if I were him, I would say something and get this over with. It's almost like the longer he waits, the worse it's going to be. And, and just to put a button on it from my perspective, and after following this guy closely for the last decade and how he deals with the media, how he reacts to criticism, how sensitive he is, I think it's as simple as he didn't want to be vaccinated. He didn't want to say he's not vaccinated because he didn't want to be criticized for being not vaccinated the way Kirk Cousins and others have been. So he lied about it to avoid being the constant target of the criticism that we've seen directed at guys like Cousins. Now, Cole Beasley wants it. I mean, he's embraced it. He loves it. He relishes it. He revels in it. But guys like Cousins, Cousins didn't come out affirmatively and say it, but he got knocked out five days for being a close contact, Peter, and He's had to live with it. So Rodgers saw that. I just think, plain and simple, Rodgers does not like to be criticized. And he didn't want to give us another basis for criticizing him. And, of course, the irony is it ended up creating an even bigger and more legitimate reason to criticize him because we caught him in a big, fat lie. And, Mike, I mean, really, I I think the story right now is what exactly happens with all of these tapes from inside the Packers facility and what happens, what will be seen? Will there be the smoking gun of videotape as the smoking gun that cost, let's say, the Denver Broncos all of their quarterbacks before they played the New Orleans Saints last year, forcing Kendall Hinton to have to play? Will there be something... Uh, I mean, will Aaron Rodgers over the last 30 days in the facility, will he have been an absolute angel about being masked everywhere and not violating any internal protocol? To me, that's going to be the big question. And if there were significant violations, the NFL has shown that, that they'll take money from teams over this. They've done it from the Raiders. They've done it from the Saints. Uh, they've done it from various teams. And so I think right now, the next part of this story, the story that I assume is happening with the football operations department in the NFL, in some room in New York, somebody is going over and just watching hours of this tape from inside the Packers facility. And we'll see what they find out from that over the next few days. And Peter, some would say that those past financial penalties were applied haphazardly, inconsistently, and unfairly when they decided to fine John Gruden 
and Sean Payton and Pete Carroll and Kyle Shanahan for not properly wearing their masks last year. There were plenty of other coaches that weren't properly wearing their masks or consistently wearing their masks. So the question that is ricocheting around the NFL right now is what will the NFL do here to the Packers and to Rodgers because there hasn't been consistency in the past. And they may have no choice but to do something now. But the broader question is, has the NFL been asleep at the switch when it comes to whether or not teams are enforcing the protocols internally because the primary obligation falls to the teams? And that may be a mistake because how can you trust the teams to mind the cookie jar? Do you really want to put the Packers in a situation where they have to hound Aaron Rodgers, a guy who was already thinking about retiring, already kind of wants out? Do you want to be pestering him to wear his mask all the time, fining him $15,000 every other day for a violation? No, the league should have been in charge of this from the get-go. But before we continue that conversation, let's hear from Matt LaFleur, the coach of the Packers, on this question of whether and to what extent Rodgers and the team has been following the COVID protocols within their building. I, as far as the football space is concerned, I'm 100% confident. Earlier you said you're 100% confident in following protocols inside the building. Can you explain why Aaron Rodgers would be allowed to be unmasked for those media availabilities? That's not what I said. I said within our football space, uh, meeting rooms, walk through everything we do in that area. I don't I don't pay attention to the media rules media rules there are no media rules if you're in the building and you're not vaccinated you got to be masked at all times and the league doesn't want to answer this question Peter I mean they're trying to keep their heads low and their mouths shut so they don't get drawn into a bigger controversy here but the bottom line is when you read the protocols if you're unvaccinated in the building you have to be wearing a mask at all times there is no exception for meeting with reporters in the press room so that's what I believe at the end of the day, we're going to find out that Rogers wore his mask whenever no one from the outside was in a position to see him wearing a mask and therefore wonder, is he not vaccinated? But when it was time to go into that media room, no mask in sight to perpetuate the ruse that he was vaccinated. And you see how LaFleur is trying to wash his hands of it. You can't. It's still his building. It's still his team. And that's a room in that building and the way the protocols are written, he should have had a mask on. And, and I think the way LaFleur tried to dance around it highlights the fact that they know he violated the protocol every time he went into that room without his mask on. That's going to be the big question. It's, the, the question is going to be, and Mike, you are anticipating that Aaron Rodgers for the last 30 days, because I believe that teams are required to keep the tapes of their meeting rooms for a 30-day period. So you were assuming that Aaron Rodgers in his locker room, you know, when all the players are in there before they go out to practice, in his locker room and in the meeting rooms had 100% compliance with the mask. I mean, personally... I'm I'm, I'm giving Matt LaFleur the benefit of the doubt. I'm giving Matt LaFleur the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's a liar too. But for now, I'm assuming he's telling the truth when he draws the line between football space because he specifically said football space. And I would assume that he knows he can prove that before he takes that position. He knows he can't prove it in the media space, but he can... He, he better hope he can prove it in the football space or, or right. you know, he's as guilty as Rodgers of not telling us the truth. 
Yeah, I look, I guess I would just say this. You know, nobody thought that, and I'll go back to Denver last year, nobody thought that the players were violating, uh, you know, any rules until the NFL got evidence that each one of the four quarterbacks in that room had put their connects on tracking device in the corners of the room and then sat together in violation of NFL COVID protocol together closer than they should have been in order to watch tape. And that at least is the story that the NFL tells. It's interesting. When I was at Broncos camp, I asked Drew Locke about it and he goes, someday I'll tell you a very interesting story about that day. So my antennae went up and I just have always thought, you know, one of these days I'm gonna find Drew Locke when, when he's a backup in Seattle or something and I'm gonna ask him that question to see what happened. But the one thing, Mike, I think that is important right now is that, you know, let's just see what the tapes say. That's all. We know that he has appeared before the media unmasked uh, when the closest media member, he might argue, they might argue, and the NFL might give him a pass on, is 20 feet away from him. So maybe that happens. Who knows? But they cannot give him a pass on anytime that he didn't have a mask on inside the building. And as it relates to the media room, and, and this is where I believe the NFL should have a far greater obligation to enforce its protocols. I don't understand why the league requires the teams and expects the teams to enforce these protocols. As someone said to me yesterday, hey, the, the teams don't find the coach when the coach goes to a press conference and criticizes the officials. The league does. The teams don't find the players when they have uniform violations. The league does. Why in the world is the team responsible for hounding the players to comply when there's cameras everywhere and the league has the ability, may not have the capacity, frankly, may not be spending the money necessary when you got $64 million per year going to the owner's pin cushion. You may not have the money in the budget to have somebody who reviews all those tapes proactively. But the bottom line is the NFL has been asleep at the switch for the stuff that we can see. Everybody sees these press conferences. We've seen Aaron Rodgers clips all year long, no mask, and they know he's not vaccinated and they don't think something's amiss there. And Peter, this is where the issue of inconsistency comes into play because we've seen press conferences of other unvaccinated players. were not wearing masks in the building. And so it's not just Rodgers. You know, I've seen images of Carson Wentz, of Kirk Cousins, people who we know aren't vaccinated in the building doing a press conference without a mask. And Sims noted yesterday, we had a little clip of Kyler Murray doing a press conference, and he had a big-ass mask on his face, and I've never seen him wearing a mask doing a press conference all year long. So it could be teams are realizing that the league may have to wake up and do something about it. The question becomes, how much does the league do for fear of exposing itself for not doing anything before? And there are countless examples over the years of the league looking the other way on something that if it did hammer a team, the implication would be we were asleep at the switch and we have responsibility for this too. And we really aren't as zealous about our COVID protocols as we should be. Look, 
you know, when you talk about the prospect of what do you think the average NFL facility, how, how many cameras would have to be in that recording what goes on in those rooms, the equipment room, the trainer's room, every position, every uh, position coach's classroom, uh, you know, the locker room. And you can't just have one in the locker room. You'd have to have several. I mean, I cannot imagine. I can't imagine how long it's going to take NFL personnel to examine up to 30 days of videotape from inside the Green Bay facility. I mean, just just imagine if you have, and I'm going to be conservative, if you have 15 cameras that you've got to examine, 15 Green Bay Packers cameras, and even if you only concentrate on, let's say, the offensive meeting room and the quarterback meeting room and the locker room, you know, just to just to only look at Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's that times 30. If you're going to look at one day and then multiply it times 30 or, you know, minus their days off. I mean, it's a phenomenal amount of labor that it would take to stay on top of that for every team to find out if there's an unvaccinated um, you know, reserve guard, not that a reserve guard would be unvaccinated, but but a lesser player, you know, to, to be able to, to watch him to see if he had his mask on every moment for the last 30 days. Well, I agree with you, but it doesn't take as much legwork and effort and money to see Aaron Rodgers in the video posted at Packers.com of his most recent press conference with no mask or Carson Wentz or Kirk Cousins. And that's where the NFL has fallen down. Let me give you another example before we wrap on this, Peter, because the reason that I didn't pursue aggressively the tip that I got on October 5 that Aaron Rodgers isn't vaccinated was because the first thing I did, because I was familiar with the preseason protocols, I went back and looked at the games where he's not in uniform and I looked for him to be wearing a mask. If he's wearing a mask at any of those preseason games, maybe he's not vaccinated. Well, preseason week one against the Houston Texans. No mask to be seen on Aaron Rodgers, who was clearly not in uniform. And then week two against the Jets, there was no mask to be seen on Aaron Rodgers, who was clearly not in uniform. And it continued through week two into week three at Buffalo. And in each of those preseason games before the game began the Packers issued a a, a public list on their website of all the players who would not be playing and therefore not be in uniform and the protocol says that everyone on the sideline who isn't vaccinated must wear a mask except for active players so that's it case closed boom roasted it's over it's done he violated protocol three times in the preseason to push the idea that he's vaccinated, the false notion that he's vaccinated. When I asked the league about it, they said, well, there's no distinction between active and inactive players in the preseason, so that doesn't apply. Are you freaking kidding me? Why have the word active player in the protocol if it applies to any player, whether or not they're in uniform? That's just baloney, and it gives you a glimpse of what they'll do to cover up their own incompetence, Peter, and the fact that they should have spotted it, that they should have fined him, and that they should have pushed him to properly comply with the protocols and wear his mask. Hey, you don't want to be vaccinated? That's fine. But you got to wear the mask in the media room, on the sideline of the preseason games. But he didn't want to do it because he didn't want us to know 
He's not vaccinated. The question is, at the time that those videos were taken, okay, when did the NFL issue its ruling against Aaron Rodgers that your homeopathic uh, treatment and your homeopathic immunization, uh, when did they tell him that that was not going to be allowed? Suppose they did that on Labor Day weekend. I have no idea when they did it. Apparently, they sent him a note at some point that said your uh, immunization does not qualify as a vaccination. So you must get vaccinated or you will be considered an unvaccinated player. That's the big question, Mike. He could easily argue that on those preseason weekends, including and and, not including the bye weekend, of course, because now there's a week between the third preseason game and the first regular season game. So in those, was it in those, say, 17 days that he was told by the league that he, you know, he was not vaccinated? If that's the case, he's going to have a very good argument that says, hey, listen, I was appealing this to the league. I considered that I was immunized slash vaccinated. And so I think that is the word salad will get if that's how that goes. And I don't buy that, Peter, because I can't imagine the league would say you can treat yourself as vaccinated until we tell you that we reject the idea that you made a a home treatment out of ketchup and toothpaste that has increased your immunity. I can't imagine the league would say you can treat yourself as vaccinated. If the league truly gives a crap, and I almost said the other word, about COVID protocols and safety, I can't imagine the league would have said, oh, it's okay, you can go ahead and we'll pretend you're vaccinated until we decide that you aren't. I think the default would be, we'll take your request under advisement, but until we agree with you, you comply with the rules as someone who is unvaccinated. I'd be astounded if they gave him a pass and said you can behave as if you're vaccinated until we tell you you're not. Maybe they didn't say that. Maybe Aaron Rodgers just said, while I'm appealing this, I am going to treat myself as vaccinated. Told Matt LaFleur the same thing. Told the Packers the same thing. Look, I don't know. I'm sitting on the sidelines guessing like everybody else. Oh, I, 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 and I'm but, fascinated by the conversation because, Peter, here's the thing. What are the Packers going to say to him when the delicate genius who decided 72 hours before the start of training camp that he was going to show up? I mean, they're scared of the guy. They're scared of him. Are, are, they gonna, are they going to do anything to piss him off when they know he's not vaccinated, but he believes he's immunized and he's taking it up with the league and I'm showing up at the game and I'm not going to wear a mask? Who in that organization is going to be the one to go to him and say, you got to wear the mask? Who in that organization is going to be the one that goes to him and says, you're paying a $15,000 fine? Given the broader context, nobody was doing that. Right. Yeah. I agree with you, but the big question is, what Seinfeld episode was Delicate Genius actually used in? It was the one where uh, George went to the physical therapist who was Elaine's friend with the awful hairstyle, and they wanted her to know how bad her hairstyle was, so they thought if Kramer would see her, he would blurt out that your hair looks awful. And, of course, when they got Kramer and the woman together, Kramer said, I like your hairstyle.
and then the woman wanted to date Kramer. But they never pulled that thread all the way through. We never knew if Wendy Malick, who played the friend with the bouffant hairdo in that episode, got together with Kramer. That's one of the great unanswered mysteries of the Seinfeld series. But she was Don't you wish you hadn't genius. asked me that question? She was the delicate genius. <laughs> because George had to miss an appointment without 24 hours notice because he had to take his mother to the chiropodist. I, I have yeah, a problem. Yeah. I have a you problem. Have a <laughs> I'll admit problem. it. A big, big <laughs> Oh, I got a big one. <laughs> All right. We got to take a break. Uh, the Browns have a big problem, and it deals with Odell Beckham Jr., but it could all be coming to a head once and for all today. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.